Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting Scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, so what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years' experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings, and I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. Welcome to a special short series of podcasts focused on the known Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. The people you will hear in these interviews have offered themselves up for the role of bishop. The elections will take place the first week of November in Houston, Texas, with a consecration service planned for November 5th. Each of these interviews was conducted via Zoom video conferencing during the month of October, and all seven episodes have been released at once, so you can hear all of them in short order. A couple of quick caveats before playing the recording of our conversation. First, the delegates have spent considerable time with each of the candidates at this point, so these interviews weren't really conducted for the people who will be electing bishops. The interviews were done with the idea that laity and clergy could learn just a little bit more about each of the people who have offered themselves up for the episcopacy. Second, I asked all the candidates the same questions. I didn't interject much and just let them talk. I did insert a question about where they saw hope for the denomination if they did not address that in an earlier question. So you'll notice me asking that question of some people and not of others. It simply had to do with the way they answered previous questions. Finally, as I record this intro, regular listeners will note that I have a bad cold, so I apologize for the squeaky and or gravelly voice. It was even worse during some of the interviews, so again, I apologize for the strange voice on my behalf. I think that's it. So without further delay, here's one of my seven interviews with Episcopal candidates for the South Central Jurisdiction. And we're joined now by Reverend Dr. David Wilson. He's the assistant to the bishop for the Oklahoma Indian Missionary Conference. David, welcome to In Layman's Terms. Thank you. It's good to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So, David, let's get started here. Um, Let's give everybody what you think is the most important pieces of your background and biographical information. Uh, uh, You know, I've been in ministry for about 30 years, and I think I've served about every uh, piece of ministry we we can in the life of this conference have enjoyed all of them so much from youth ministry to campus ministry to the local church uh, and to conference leadership and and uh, beyond that my background is I'm a member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma the third largest tribe in the country family comes from far southeast Oklahoma and uh, uh, as a child my mother and father met my father was uh, Presbyterian. My mother became a Methodist to vacation Bible school, and uh, they met and then ended up at uh, Indian Methodist churches, wherever we happened to be at. And and <clears throat> when I began growing up, we lived in the small town of Muskogee, where I grew up in the Fife Indian uh, Methodist Church, and been involved with ministry for 
sometimes local church did everything taught Sunday school. I, I was teaching Sunday school taught when I was 16 years of age. Uh, you know, you go to churches and there's uh, very few folks to choose from and, um, and began teaching then ages of um, probably eight to 12 that I had in that small classroom <clears throat> and did all sorts of ministry in the life of the local church, which I've enjoyed uh, all of that. <clears throat> so I guess let's go on now to your call story. <clears throat> Tell us a little bit about how you came to be into the ministry. Sure. You know, as I mentioned, I grew up in a small uh, church in Muskogee, Oklahoma. I come from a family of seven, with seven siblings. And uh, although most of us went to the church, I was the one who was the most faithful. My mother was very active. My father never was, but, and she never drove. She still doesn't. And we're thankful for that. Uh, so we would, we would, we always lived close to the church. We always walked over. We'd walk three or four blocks to the church and again, uh, involved in uh, the church there as a young child and the pastor who began asking me to do small things in the church, you know, taking up offering, uh, uh, reading litany, uh, this and that. And I tell people that <clears throat> although <clears throat> I was always involved in the life of the church, he recognized God's call upon my life before I did. And my family did. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a natural thing to be involved there in the church and began teaching Sunday school when I was 16, led the youth ministry there, uh, uh, really involved in all levels. And for a student, when I was a student at Oklahoma City University, at first I was going to do a double major, religion and mass comm. Uh, and I realized it would take longer and I was going on to seminary. I majored with mass comm that I served for like five months at my local church uh, because a pastor left and they had no one else to go. Uh, and, and that was a defining point. And what I tell, when I look back, taught in my life, uh, despite being involved in the local church, uh, <clears throat> living out my, what I didn't recognize as my calling, it was, it was just, uh, it was ministry, which I so enjoyed doing. In 1988, I served as an intern for the General Board of Church and Society uh, for the ethnic uh, service program. Uh, there's probably be 14 of us. Four of us were native students, all from OMC. And it was then after you know spending a summer in DC, working in Congressman Ben Nahorst Campbell's office. He was the only native person on the Hill at the time. And then working through church and society, you know, we'd be there for lectures, learn about uh, the work they did, social justice. And when I came home, that really transformed my life to help me understand yeah, ministry is, is, is even far more than the local church, the stuff I enjoyed doing. Came back home revived and energized and uh, began working more with youth ministry. And then uh, as a layperson, all this was done as a layperson until I was licensed in 1991. Uh, but those, those two things, uh, which reminds us all of the importance of clergy and laypersons uh, identifying God's call on people's lives sometimes before we do. And I think about that often when I see people in ministry in the local church and uh, grateful for that pastor who saw that in me and, and again, family members. Uh, and so thankful for the work that I got to do and uh, for finally identifying uh, God's call upon my life. So talking about calling, um, now you're offering yourself up for the episcopacy. Mm -hmm. Um, tell us a little bit about why you feel that's uh, your maybe your next step in ministry. Uh, given everything that's going on in the denomination, why would you do that to yourself? Sure. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the number one question. Why in the world would you offer yourself as, up as a bishop in such a time as this? 
you know, this is my third run uh, for the Episcopacy. I ran in 2012 as a, a very young pastor and, uh, you know, recognizing the urge, uh, the nudge to do that, but also people around me and not just people from OIMC, but from people across the church. Uh, that's one of the blessings of this United Methodist Church is we make great friends everywhere we go, colleagues on all levels, and, and we stay friends. So many people uh, said, David, you should offer yourself as a candidate, and which I began uh, doing, and of course ran again in 2016. And then in you know 19, uh, we you know folk had an idea of what was happening with United Methodist Church in terms of uh, what we now know as disaffiliation. But in 19, it was nothing like it was now. So, you know, we had met uh, at, in our South Central jurisdiction. Uh, we lately had met at St. Luke's United Methodist Church, Oklahoma City. All the folk have declared themselves as candidates go and were interviewed by all. And at that time, it was right before COVID, you recall, February, I believe, of, of 19. And then everything, you know, changed so quickly just weeks after that. Uh, you know, churches shut down, the world practically shut down. And then things, you know, we just, you know, putting off jurisdiction and general conference. And, uh, you know, during that time, I just did what I always do. There's ministry to be done, so much care uh, during the COVID uh, uh, season, uh, just taking care of people's lives and helping us deal with grief and trying to maintain the church. And, and so that was, you know, a period of time, we just continued on with ministry. And then uh, this summer, whenever judicial council ruled that uh, jurisdiction conferences could be held, I said, oh, yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm part of that journey. And, and of course, that changed. But just, just you know, listening to God's call upon my life, this is a third time. And I, you know, uh, I tell I tell folk often, I said, I have a comfortable life here. Uh, enjoy ministry, get to do all sorts of things in the community, involved in so much. Um, and I could I could easily just live this out to retirement, although I'm wait, I'm too young to be retired. But again, feeling God's call upon my life, and I'm not built that way to sit back and to be comfortable. I enjoy the challenges that God places in my life and think I could be a person who can help us navigate what lies ahead as we pass through disaffiliation, approaching whenever the next general conference would be held. And of course, listening to voices around me. And again, not just from home, not just from YNC, but across the church and this jurisdiction who have encouraged me, supporting me uh, to become a candidate. And, and as a matter of fact, the Oklahoma annual conference uh, endorsed me as a candidate thought they'd never done it before in their lives and to endorse a candidate from OMC or anyone outside of Oklahoma and these are people who I've known for years uh, some of the kids I've taught in college uh, friends I've worked with served with and people know me uh, they know my ministry they know I think they know my heart and uh, my integrity so those folks who encouraged me to do that I offered myself as a candidate once again you talked about navigating the, the the difficulties of the future. So let's talk about that a little bit. How would you lead the United Methodist Church going forward in this season of disaffiliation over human sexuality concerns? Yeah, I think, you know, that's, of course, the big piece that we're all dealing with right now. Just about every annual conference, uh, probably across the church, certainly in the South Central jurisdiction, is working through disaffiliation. Uh, Oklahoma's meeting this weekend uh, for a special called conference. So many others have uh, for disaffiliation. Uh, for that, we we uh, are saddened of churches that are leaving uh, 
and not really just churches, but the individuals who make up the church, pastors and laity, because these have been longtime friends of many of ours. We've known for years, we've been to school with, we, you know, clergy, we went to seminary with, we served with a laity who worked together in so many venues. And so that's a difficult, probably the most difficult piece for most of us to, uh, to endure is, uh, is, you know, just the departure. And, and yet, you know, for those of us who stay, who stay behind or thousands of us, you know, the, the, uh, we know this, you know, both of us as journalists, that was my first calling in college. Uh, we, we know that uh, media loves, loves to look at uh, stories from a different perspective. And so when the media here in Oklahoma writes about churches that are leaving, they never write about the hundreds that are staying and the great work that they're doing. Uh, in our Oklahoma and Oklahoma Indian Missionary Conference. So, you know, for, for my main piece is to help us uh, uh, acknowledge, affirm the hurt of those who are leaving, and then to look ahead for the hundreds of us who stay behind, the large majority who, who are still here as United Methodists and say, what's our future? What's our hope? And how do we begin to regroup and uh, forge ahead? And there's so much work that needs to be done in our communities. We see that every day by the uh, media. So much work to be done in our communities, healing racial divides, uh, helping folks to understand the importance of the church or our communities, and probably mostly, Todd, for me, is helping people see the light of Christ and the work that I do here in Oklahoma and in my daily life, being a presence to give people hope in the midst of this uh, hurting world and, and uh, all the divides that are happening uh, in our churches and in, in our communities. You touched on a couple of things that are going on in society there. So I want to <clears throat> ask you to expand on that just a little bit. What other issues besides this one about human sexuality do you see as most critical to the future <clears throat> of the church? Oh, I, I, you know, the one I think about often is, is uh, the, future of the, the future of our church looking at how we uh, relate and include uh, young people in, in our local churches. You know, we always say here at home, we want young people to be a part of our churches and when we get them that we want them, but we want them to act like we do. We want them to fall into our mindset, how we operate, and that doesn't happen. I've been uh, the last two or three years working with uh, voter engagement uh, with Rock the Native Vote, which we formed in 2002, I believe, with a group of young adults uh, from the YMC. And so uh, and, and one of our pieces taught us to really reach this uh, new generation. I think, you know, Gen Z and millennials and others and their lifestyles and mindset is so different from mine and ours. Uh, so many people, <clears throat> it takes, I tell people it takes a lot of work to understand how they think, how they operate. And I say that not, not to say it's, it's difficult, but if we really want to invest in the life of how do we relate to young people? How do we connect with them? Uh, we really have to understand uh, who they are, uh, their loves, their passions, how they communicate, with one another, how they communicate with me. That's probably my most frustrating. So I work with so many young people at this voting initiative um, of their, uh, what I call their uh, slow response to my need to act quickly, because uh, that's how I operate with, with often you got to move quick and it's a different story. So that great need for us to reach out to young people and not just for the sake of growing the church, uh, but also for the sake of meeting the needs that they are working with. Young people, you know, the, one of the reasons I love working with them, there's so much into social justice and making a difference. And I love that, uh, whether at home, whether it's working with uh, 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 
uh, you know, peace in, in the community, uh, uh, facing injustice for the Native community, African American community, Latino community, whether simply trying to be uh, a presence when we when we are seen as invisible. Uh, that's that the church has a lot of work to do in that in that field, and especially when you think about the future of our churches. When I visit many, you look at the age of our churches, you're thinking, where will this church be in 20 or 30 years? Will it still be around? Uh, and until we engage young folk uh, where they're at, uh, we'll have a challenge. The other piece I mentioned that the church really needs to work on is how we do ministry with the poor. Uh, I've shared in delegation meetings taught about teaching uh, United Methodist uh, <clears throat> studies at our United Methodist University here. And I talked about the four foci. Many of us know about that. Those young folk knew nothing about it. And so I talked about one of those is ministry with the poor and talked about Wesley and his involvement and what we're doing in our communities. And they said, uh, David, they said, uh, we don't know how to do ministry to poor because we didn't grow up poor. And they weren't being boastful or anything. That was the reality. And, uh, and yet they wanted to. They had a strong desire. But often they, you need an entree. You need a way to, uh, to, to, for people to, to direct you in the right place. How do you work with the poor, with the homeless? And the others and there are people in our communities doing that work every single day doing great work and we just need to make that connection uh united methodist church being a middle class plus uh denomination and that's not uh who you see in the pews of the huge majority of our churches across the denomination so that's the other piece i was saying of course lastly taught is working with racial ethnic communities uh, i right now i'm blessed doing some work with the african-american community and that Hispanic Latino community, and we're having a great time. I'm learning so much about uh, who they are. And the, the interesting about racial, racial ethnic minorities, we know each other's past. I mean, our pasts are, and histories are, are twined, intertwined because of the injustice of the past there. And so we have that commonality to say, we know what it's like to be neglected uh, uh, for the racism that we see every single day of our lives. And so we're looking at how can we form coalitions uh, to work together to make this world a better place? A lot of that's a, a great work, takes a lot of effort, but it sure will be worth it when we get to where we need to be. It's a long answer. And I apologize for that. No, that's okay. Um, so we live in a fractured society. <clears throat> um, and unfortunately, the church reflects that fractured society, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, what would you do as bishop to help unify people remaining in the United Methodist Church? And how have you fostered unity and mission in either your current appointment or in previous stops along your ministry? Sure. Um, uh, a wonderful question. You know, uh, a former bishop, Bishop uh, Bruce Blake, who's uh, living in the Great Plains uh, Conference right now in Winfield, when he was our bishop, he said, whatever is happening in society will be mirrored in the local church. And I always think about that often when you see what's happening there and even the uh, political divide that's a part of our churches, the, race, the racial divide, that's a part of our churches, whether we uh, want to recognize that or not, it, it is there. So I think about his uh, words often, you know, for myself as a, if elected as a new bishop, I uh, would love to go in and uh, first of all, see what, what the conference is doing already around that. You know, look at like the Great Plains Annual Conference. I'll say that since that's your conference, I saw, while back with a group of folk from Great Plains, traveled to uh, Nick Real, Texas, uh, to listen to Hispanic Latino uh, leaders there. That man, what a wonderful idea! Uh, thinking about that, and uh, so you know, th those are pieces to say. What are we doing? 
uh, right now and how can we build on that and in what communities are we not uh, engaging with? Who, 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 is, who is out there that we don't have a connection with that we need to connect with? And maybe not just for the sake thought of uh, building new churches, but uh, creating some relationships. Uh, everything starts from relationship. As a native person, I share with people often uh, three things that are so important for us. Uh, community, we understand that the world's not about one person. Uh, uh, like the, it is for the dominant society, but it's about the whole community. When we make decisions, it's for everybody. The importance of relationships we make, blood relationships included, but for all the relationships we make, how important those are, and then hospitality. Uh, those three things that if we can find, uh, find ways to, first of all, understand what that truly means for the church, and how do we implement that uh, in our local churches and places we happen to be at. So those would be three um I'll call them values, but they're really built into native culture that I would bring with me to any annual conference to help us say, how can we do that? Uh, offer those three, and how can we do it genuinely, not just as a campaign, but how do we uh, do that? So that'd be another piece of uh, my life as an Episcopal leader elected to bring uh, to an annual conference. And of course, and of course, for those of us, you know, the thousands of us who stage United Methodist, saying, look what gifts and talents we have together, let's pull it together. You know, it'll be much smaller in many places. You know, there's some conferences losing quite a few churches. It'll be much smaller, but yet, you know, uh, in the Oklahoma Indian Missionary Conference, Todd, we're such a small conference, we have such little resources. We know how to be nimble. We know how to work with little money. We know how to pull it together. And, and of course, one of our gifts is, is as we pull it together, how we really good life lay people uh, because they uh, lay it to you is such an important part of the work that we do. So I want to conclude with a little get into the Bible here a little bit. Uh, when, oh, I was yeah. asking everybody to wrap up with <clears throat> tell me what your favorite Bible verse is and why that verse resonates with you. When, when I taught when I was a youngster thinking back to my local church on Sunday nights uh, around Easter, you know, the 10 commandments always came on, you know, I'm the, you know, uh, and we all look forward to that. And we had Sunday night services at our church. And we all wanted to stay home and watch Ten Commandments. And the pastor would say, if you'll all repeat one verse, whenever you get done, you can go home. So mine is always John 3, 16, or Jesus wept. I didn't care who I beat. I, was, you know, I just wanted to go home and watch Ten Commandments. I mean, but, you know, now, and I preach on this Sunday, because I, my title was around one of the questions asked uh, in the bio that I had to write. But mine, mine is, will be centered on Micah 6, 8. Our prophets are always overlooked. Uh, you know, Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord uh, require of you but to do justice, uh, to love kindness, or walk humbly with God? And I think that has been uh, my mantra for many, for many years, uh, probably because as indigenous peoples, we have experienced so much injustice. I mean, I mean, every day around the country and even every week in my world, uh, that happens, and we find ways to deal with that. And uh, so that's a big piece is, is not just for native people, but uh, helping others fight for justice. And, you know, we, we, we wrestle, uh, there are many people who wrestle with human sexuality and, and, and refer to the Bible for that, but folk tend to forget that, you know, for the Hebrew Bible, you know, what made uh, created God the most angry was when we did not practice hospitality, when we neglected the widows, uh, when we mistreated children and the poor, uh, and and we see it happening every single day around this around this world, 
and especially in this country. So that's been a big passion of mine throughout my life and uh, those three that I uh, seek to practice, not say practice, but try to make it a normal part of my uh, daily life as I lead or as I live my simple life as David Wilson. Reverend Dr. David Wilson, thank you so much for joining us on Layman's Terms. And also thank you for offering yourself up for this important role at this point in the church. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate it much. You've been listening to one of seven brief interviews with Episcopal candidates in the South Central jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. I hope these talks give you some insight into the people who will serve as bishops, if elected, at the South Central Jurisdictional Conference the first week of November. And if one of these people turns out to be your new bishop, now you will have at least a little insight into their call stories and a little more information about how they intend to lead your annual conference. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org podcasts or on my website, toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.